At the Sports History Network, we're proud to introduce you to a new sponsor for our podcasts. It's Homefield Apparel, your premium collegiate apparel brand right out of Indianapolis. They've got incredibly comfortable t-shirts, plus they're officially licensed with vintage college designs. They have over 150 plus colleges available now and always adding more. Homefield digs through the archives and history of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments to make thoughtful designs for your school. When you shop today, new customers can get a 15% discount off their first purchase using the promo code SPORTSHISTORY at checkout. You can learn more at homefieldapparel.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome to Game Film, the sports movie review podcast, with your hosts, Oz Davis and Aaron Harris. Edward Seacott, Joseph Jefferson Jackson, Arnold Gandil, Charles Risberg, Oscar Felch, Claude Williams, and George Weaver are hereby accused of conspiracy to commit a confidence game. We've got to see the clock. Baseball, 1919. There were no free agents, no million-dollar salaries, but there was a team no one could beat. The true story of the team they called the Black Sox and the scandal that broke the heart of a nation. Any bet against my Sox this series is a sucker bet. You can find seven men on the best club willing to throw the World Series. The shoeless Joe ain't in. I ain't. You want me? You don't want to be stupid, do you, Joe? Now, you just sign your name right there, Joe. I made an agreement with those guys. A couple of Boy Scouts here, they made a deal. The players are in now. What are they going to do, call a cop? What you got it off for, Eddie? Eddie can dump three games all on his own. We don't get Eddie, we forget about it. How many games does Mr. Seacott win for us this year? 29, sir. You said if I won 30 games, there'd be a $10,000 bonus. 29 is not 30, Eddie. I want to make the play. I don't feel right. You can't watch on these guys. They were an American dream come true. The best that ever were. Nine men took the field. But when the game was over, there were eight men out. What do you think of these players of yours now, Mr. Gleason? I think they're the greatest ball club i ever seen, period. Don't you forget it. Eight Men Out, written for the screen and directed by John Sayles. Right, that's the trailer, or at least the audio part of it, for Eight Men Out. Uh, 1995 film directed by John Sayles, which, per the IMDb synopsis, is about 
quote, the Chicago White Sox, who are set to play the Cincinnati Reds in the World Series of 1919, are at odds with the team owner Charles Comiskey, played by Clifton James, who pays his players unsatisfactory wages despite the team's popularity. A group of professional gamblers offers the Sox's best athletes a fortune to throw the series, and the players agree. However, their reputations and careers are ruined when the dark secret dubbed the Black Sox scandal reaches the public consciousness, unquote. I would also add the film features an ensemble cast of actors. Gotta say, it's mostly a boys club. Fair warning there, but nevertheless, fantastic performances. Some of my favorites were John Sales himself, who plays sports writer Ring Gardner. Uh, John Cusack is Buck Weaver. John Mahoney is manager Kid Gleason. David Stratham is Eddie Cicotti. Christopher Lloyd as the gambler Bill Burns. And Michael Lerner in a tiny but badass role as the big money gambler Arnold Rothstein. Now, as I understand it, my co-host Aaron hadn't seen Eight Men Out before viewing it for this podcast. So I have to ask, what's your take? So usually movies that take place in the jazz era, like or prohibition, I've never have really had an interest in pursuing. You know, for some reason, it's not a part of American history that I've developed an interest in, at least not to this point in life. And so I typically stay away from those movies as well, because I've often found that period pieces either are severely under budget and it kind of ruins the whole atmosphere of the movie. You know, you can't really immerse yourself in it unless you were to shoot really concise interior shots or it's just way overdone by the actors you know sometimes they get too carried away with trying to put themselves in that time period to the point where they feel like caricatures of people from that time you know they call everybody every woman a dame and stuff like that and it just doesn't really feel like it's anything i i would expect to see if i were to time travel back there but this was really a movie that i think got it right I, I didn't feel like anyone was acting as if they were trying to recreate the the psychological state of a person back then. They were just acting and it felt natural and unstaged. And it really kind of added to the overall enjoyment of the movie for me, because even from like the opening credits, when they had a movie and the 1919 title card come up, I kind of felt like this was a movie that I could really get into and that I ultimately did enjoy. I mean, as someone who is not really a baseball fan, I really came into the movie not really knowing what to expect. But at the end of it, I was really glad that I watched it. And it really felt like a seamless viewing because it was enjoyable due to the fact that they had good costumes, good setting. I got into the era that I'm not normally interested in. And it was just fun from the actors. You know, like you said, it's an ensemble cast, it's a boys club. It was fun just kind of seeing everybody interact with each other and everything. Everybody had good chemistry. I'm glad you brought that up this early on in the run of game film, because this is one of my grand unifying theories of film review. Let's talk about the period piece. It's one of my theories that one of the best ways to avoid that horrid label, which we don't want in the 21st century, dated I think, is to just make a period piece. Just make a period piece, right? A perfect example of this is The Sting, okay? 1976, right? But since it's set in the 20s, and again, you have Newman and Redford at the peak of their powers, both of them, mm -hmm. right? So that helps quite a bit. And you have a, a really slick plot, nice direction on it as well. And it's always in the 20s. 
like this film too. Uh, what you're talking about with the actors, I think is made a lot easier, right? What does an actor really want to do? How can you tell the good Shakespearean actor, right? Because they know what they're saying. If you try and force an actor to use cheesy slang from 90, 100 years ago now, well, at least the settings, 100 years ago, you know, of course it's going to sound stilted because it is stilted, right? You want the actual, like, live flowing dialogue, snappy dialogue. One of the great things I think about this film is the script. We always talk in script writing about uh, economy of dialogue. And this film is working with a cast of 40, 50, 60 major characters, some of which appear in two scenes. Right? Like, mm -hmm. right towards the end, we get the climactic appearance of who is ultimately, historically, the most important figure in this film, Commissioner Landis, right? He's in the movie for two scenes, the second of which fades into a voiceover, mm -hmm. okay? But how much do you know about that guy based on the dialogue he puts forth in those two scenes? A ton. Right. <laughs> you know? It's like this movie wastes no time, yet it's two hours long, right? From what I read, it's it's an hour and fifty nine minutes and forty six okay. seconds, and uh, sales was under contract to make the movie under uh, the duration under two hours. So he, he fulfilled that mission, right? That yeah. direction, I should say. The 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 DVD, the twentieth anniversary DVD of this thing has gotten a lot, as well as the uh, Blu-ray, have gotten a lot of kudos for the extras on. So I, I, I'm certain there's some there's some uh, cut scenes mm -hmm. uh, on yeah. the floor here. Because, okay, for example, <laughs> a great character too. Here's another great character. He's in it for two or three scenes. Eddie Collins, mm -hmm. right? The, uh, the Hall of Famer, right? Yeah. I guess like the only player on that team that would eventually make the Hall of Fame because of this scam. And he comes off as this total cocky son of a bitch you know but you know, what a great character economically presented tight but we never get to see him play ball so it's like you know that scene is on the floor somewhere I mean, he's got to have made a play at least in passing in the game you know they do a nice job recreating some of the baseball oh and did you notice this by the way speaking of recreating the baseball no home runs was there no home runs i don't think so did the white I, Sox get a home run Wait, wait, I, I may have. I might, I, I think in game three, because there, there is one time I think yeah, where, uh, Buck no. Weaver decides he's not, I don't, actually, I don't remember if it was Buck, but there was a character that just decided just to slam it. And I think he, I think they got a home run. Yeah, that might have been Hap Felsch, uh, Charlie Sheen. Yeah, I, yeah. Think you're, I think you're correct. Yeah, damn it. Well, but pretty close, but pretty yeah. close. And that was the thing that I like is that, you say you usually don't get into period pieces. You know, a lot of people out there don't get into well, baseball. Well, from that, from that era, from that era, I don't really get right, into Okay, so yeah, pieces, 20s, yeah. 20s stuff. No great Gatsby for you, old sport. I know a lot of people don't like baseball movies per se, but I think that in the end, this is a great movie. I don't think you have to like... I mean, look, there's something for everyone, right? There's the proverbial something for everyone, except, okay, there's no love story, but... You can't have it. I mean, you get the courtroom drama, mm -hmm. right? You get some good sports stuff. You get a lot of witty dialogue. You get some nice performances, like I've said before, some nice, ex nice exchanges of dialogue. It's just a good movie. Well, it's, 
that's kind of a, a point I want to go a little deeper in because something that I really took away from this was the tone of the movie. And this kind of co- accompanies the witty dialogue or the, the witty dialogue and the performances. You know, this could have easily been a very melodramatic movie about, oh, yeah. the, inte- about the integrity of baseball and, you know, how, how could role models do this to the kids? But it really wasn't that at all. You know, it, I wouldn't say it was a carefree tone, but it didn't take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. It, it was something that didn't try to send a message, but rather just kind of showed you what happened in a very entertaining way. I, I haven't read the book that the movie was based off of, and I, I never really have gone too deep into the, the story of the Black Sox scandal. I mean, I knew Rothstein and his involvement, but I never really figured out what the whole motive was um, and Kaminsky's motive in it, or not his motive, but sort of like his reason for giving players no money, which in turn made them want to get in on the fix. But I, I didn't feel like it was trying to give me any grand message. Even when we got to the courtroom, you know, you have like that one scene where the kid says, say it ain't so, Joe. Um, but even then, it was yeah. it, it was one scene that I can understand yeah. why you put in there because you have these ball players that are talking to the kids early on, but they, it doesn't detract from the overall movie. You know, well, that's make, the myth. That's yeah. a myth about that. Yeah, it's cinem- and- that, that's a cinema, a cinematic insertion just for dramatic right 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 i mean i've heard different spins on that but you know it becomes i mean this is what happened on the kid yeah 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 the say it ain't so bit you know like like i've heard one i've heard one where joe turns and says i'm afraid it is son uh you know there there's others where you know joe doesn't even hear him uh you know it's just like he says it twice really that's yeah. a movie convention. But, yeah. you know, you keep it, right? Because what happens in sports, you know, especially as we'll see in our next uh, film that we're going to talk about, these stories become legends, you know, especially since newspaper writers were given pretty serious free reign. I mean, right. you, do it, you do enough historical stuff, you look at enough old newspapers, and some of these guys are liberally using the fiction, let's say. Oh, yeah. their... most, most of it reads like fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to be fair, there's a lot of good reporters. I mean, we have some good reporters mm-hmm. in yeah. this movie, right? We have guys who do like real reporting of real writing too uh yeah. you know ring lardner was a was a accomplished songwriter as well for example mm-hmm. uh, and i believe he played some sports uh he's played by sales at this movie a very tall guy but yeah. i love the writers in this movie too but of course you know i'm biased in this respect okay i just wanted to ask you one more thing favorite quote favorite line in the movie at the very end when um buck weaver is at the minor league he's at the minor league baseball game where shoeless joe is at and I think he had a, I don't remember if this was the exact quote, but whenever he said he was that the best. It's easy to change. It's him. Who's him? It's Joe Jackson. <laughs> what? Get out of here. <laughs> Who's Joe Jackson? Look at how he's hitting us. He's killing us out there. Uh, double, two home runs. These bushers make peanuts less. Jackson made a fortune on those games. It's him. You ever see him play? Yeah, I saw pictures. Pictures. <laughs> I saw him play. Yeah? What do you think? He was the best. Run, hit, throw. He was the best. So what do you think? Is that him? 
Nah. Those fellas are all gone now. Abe and Alan available on HBO Max. We'll be right back. I'm going to do a couple of commercials, then we're going to talk a couple more movies. I'll get you back to the Game Film Podcast in just a minute. But first, I'd like to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time, newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the Sports History Network, you're probably in sports history. And you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to, say, 1990 online, the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless. But then there's newspapers.com. Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl One, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now, get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of this podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than You know what I'm talking about. This is the story about the early days of baseball. It is the story of what it was like and how it felt to be a baseball player at the turn of the century and in the decades shortly thereafter. This is also the story of America at the turn of the century and prior to World War I, a time of cobblestone streets and horse-drawn trolleys. It is the story of young man's hopes, his struggles, his triumphs and his failures in what history has recorded as the quiet time. It is about the time when the fate of young men was seen as their own doing, and hard work was viewed as the pathway to success. It is about the time in baseball when Ty Cobb would win 12 batting championships in 13 years and had a 371 average in the one year he didn't win. It is about the time when home run champions could win the title with six or 10 or 19. It is about the time of John McGraw, Iron Man McGinty, and Christy Mathewson. The time of Walter Johnson, of Rube Marquard, Tommy Leach, and Honus Wagner. All these were honored in their generation. And were the glory of their times. Yeah, so this choice for me was a little more of an aesthetic pairing. This is obviously a documentary that was also based off a book. It's pretty short. It's only about 50 minutes, but I think after watching Eight Men Out, I really wanted to see more of the era in which it took place. And Ape and the glory of their times doesn't deal specifically with 1919, but talks about baseball from the turn of the century going till 1918. And I really wanted to see sort of the, the pictures and the actual footage of what it was like in that time and sort of what it was like to see players who were giants of their times you could say but who are also just common people i found it interesting to see a lot of the players but also contrast the differences of how guys would be pitching two games straight without a break and hearing a lot of baseball players tell their story from the ground up during that time 
And it really kind of gave me a good visual compliment to what I saw in Eight Men Out to see sort of like the real voices and the real stories that kind of went into that era. So the book is 66. It's published in 66. And did you catch when this documentary was made? Was released, 19, I should say? 1970. Right, right. It's clear that they took the recordings, you know, which was a snappy way for journalists to do, you know, interviews back then. You bring a big old tape recorder. <laughs> and it's clear that it's recordings from that. It's also interesting that they have players who are not exactly, they're not the studs, okay? They're not the heroes that you're talking about, the Walter Johnsons, the Ty Cobbs. Uh, we're talking about Rube Marquard, uh, Wahoo Crawford, Sad Sam Jones, and Fred Snodgrass, guys like this. So kind of like your second tier players. I mean, I know them since I was a kid. I've, I've played baseball since. So I know who these guys are, but I'm sure most don't. In fact, that was one of the things I wanted to say about this film is that this is why a documentary like this is so important. I was on Facebook the other day and I was looking at a group that was um, kind of about retro comic books. And there was a posting where there was this panel and, uh, you know, Superboy, Clark Kent Superboy was being all angsted out. And he wants to play ball with the kids, but he can't risk giving away his powers. And he's just thinking he has got a little thought bubble and he's thinking, if I could show them what I could do, I could be Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth and Walter Johnson all rolled into one. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And everybody in the comments was going, oh, yeah, Walter Johnson. <laughs> who the fuck is Walter Johnson? You know, it's just like, right. whoa, you know, all my life I've taken for granted that this guy was a household word. Now, okay, I'm not unrealistic enough to think that's still the case, but geez, I honestly thought he was still on like a Ty Cobb level. You know, I mean, I know Tris Speaker, who gets a lot of play in this movie, who was awesome who was Salieri to Ty Cobb's Mozart, basically, by the way. Uh, so I'm glad he gets a lot of coverage in this film. But people forget. I mean, Walter Johnson is number two all-time in wins. He's one of two guys ever to get 400 wins, you know, until we count Satchel Paige's barnstorming stuff. He's the only player out there that's got 400 wins besides friggin' Cy Young. And I believe they named a, a trophy after him or something. So it's like, these films are important to remember these guys. Also, on top of this, I mean, like, you know, this, this was the thing for me. I mean, I've been studying baseball history. I mean, Walter Johnson's one of the original five in the Hall of Fame, right? You know, stuff like that. Fascinated with the stories of Lou Gehrig. And, and you know, even to some extent, Josh Gibson and Satch and those guys. I liked all of the specifics in this as well. You know, so for somebody like me, I mean, of course I know all about Holy Swag. Of course, I knew, you know, Christy Matthews. But I like the specifics in this one. I like the 1905 Giants A's series. You know, I like the 1909 Pirates Tigers series. You know, as I was watching this, a lot of these guys really, I'm, I'm not sure how old a lot of these guys were when by the time this was filmed, obviously they were in like the much later stages of their life. 
Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. That's why he had to get these guys. These were the guys that were still around. The great thing about like this time era, though, like this to me seems like it was the perfect time to get into baseball because it kind of has that element of you had to see it to believe it. All these stories to me were obviously we don't have footage, but that kind of adds to like the the mythology of gamesmanship, the mythology, I guess, of baseball specifically, because the documentary also kind of shares the rise of America along with the rise of baseball from 1900 to 1919. And it was really enjoyable to see sort of like that time before we had a lot of footage. I mean, they have some still like photographs, obviously, but listening to these guys talk just kind of reminded me of like listening to my uncle or my grandfather talk about a time in which I have no proof that it actually happened, but it sounds amazing. My dad is not so old as that, right? So thank God for YouTube where we can find, you know, clips of Sandy Koufax, Bob Gibson, Ted Williams. We can see those guys. But yeah, they talk about that a couple of times where it was like, this is the only film of Christy Matthewson. And I don't think they had any film of Walter Johnson. And then they had a little bit of Ty Cobb running, feeling second. But again, this is what happens in sports history. October 25th, 1986, is the biggest day of playwright Nicky Rogan's life. I have never worked on a show where the leading man has a parasite in his brain. This is all your history. My parasite is eating it. Not because a critic wants to destroy his play. He'll write a review so devastating it will shatter your career. Not because his marriage is ending. How could you do that? Well, I'm a man. She's, you know, a woman. She's my gynecologist. I've been talking to a prominent divorce lawyer. No problem. He has his own submarine. But because tonight, his beloved Boston Red Sox are one game away. This could be it. From winning the World Series. If you know anything about the team's history, it's a tragedy in the making. I carry this franchise on my back since I'm six years old. I've never understood your thing with the Red Sox. They're getting ready to kill my play. That's about us, who we are. The truth is never gentle. Yeah, you can analyze the Red Sox game day and night for a month and still uncover complex layers of feelings. Feelings you don't even know you're capable of having. I kind of pain as a memory all of its own. And a drive to left, going back on to this Mickey Wilson, and this one is... Yes! The Red Sox are winning. Red Sox are always winning. Until I lose. Each of us lives in the thinnest possible wrapping of dreams. And truth is the force that penetrates this wispy skin. You want to make the night come down. It's too hard for you to believe in something. But I want to believe. If you believed, you wouldn't be walking around with a handgun in your belt. There are things that speak to us from the past. Your truth is locked up in the past. Losing is easy. Winning is easy. Losing is complicated. mistakes I've made, all the fear, encased in this little envelope we call the body. Lost games, lost dreams, there's the thing that always happens, because it has to. Game six. I could have been happy. Could have been a Yankees fan. (laughs) That was the trailer for game six and if you never knew this film existed i'm not surprised you'd think that 
with co-stars of Batman and Iron Man that this film would get a revival of sorts, but not so much. In fact, Aaron, okay, I was ready to say that this is available on Voodoo, but it's not, right? Not until August 10th. I don't know who could possibly have the rights to this film. This is a very obscure 2005 film. Let's see. I would say, okay, the best way to describe Game 6, I did not go to any official synopsis for this, but basically, without giving away too many spoilers, but I, I honestly cannot believe how similar this film is in a lot of ways to Birdman, okay. like the uh, 2016 film. If you take out the superhero elements and substitute Red Sox fandom, you more or less have the same movie. It's about a guy who's got a lot at stake with his play, whose leading man has certain psychological issues. You've got actor problems. In this movie, it's the great baby Newworth. You've got an attractive daughter, and you've got a critic, in this case, played by Robert Downey Jr., who might kill this poor dude's play on opening night. This is an independent film which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, but somehow could not pick up a major backer in North America or even England. Well, I guess that's not too surprising since the baseball is is such a uh, thematic part of the film. I'm sorry I can't ask what you thought of this, but on the other hand, at least then I can recommend this film. You will not be disappointed. Why did you choose this as a pairing with 8 Men Out? Okay, because baseball. <laughs> when we decided to put together games, though, uh, we, we decided that a good format would be to, to have a classic or a notable film, let's say, at the top. And then we'd each pick a film that would sort of spin off of this. One of the problems with baseball movies is that there are lots of great baseball movies, but there are about nine or ten maximum that everybody's going to think of first <laughs> and i wanted to do something completely outside the realm okay mm-hmm. this is one of those movies where i guess this doesn't happen quite so well i guess it does happen nowadays but more online this is one of these movies where you find it you're one of the only people in the world that's seen it and you preach go see this film this podcast right now is just an excuse for me to pimp this film, which nobody has seen, and it's a really great film. Well, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it, but one of the things that looked interesting to me is that it was written by Don DeLillo, and I, I, I've read a little DeLillo, and I, I've kind of wondered what it would be like if he wrote a script. So here, the way you describe it, like Birdman, and from what I understand, he, he is a big baseball fan too. I'm not sure. Yeah how deep his fandom goes, but you know, he's, it's been the subject in a few of his books. So I'm interested to see like how he would write it for the screen, especially coming from the vantage point of a playwright who is writing about game six of the world series in 1986 or is it just just in the drop back of it? Yeah. See, see the angst of it is that he's a Red Sox fan Mm -hmm. in New York. Right, of course, gotcha, he's on Broadway, okay. right? So, mm-hmm. so that's the thing of it. See, in a lot of ways, this reminded me of, and I can even make another recommendation based on this one. It reminded me of Fever Pitch, not the American version, which ironically is also about the Red Sox, but rather the British version, because ostensibly it's a movie about sports. But what it's really about is about sports fandom. It's about what it means to be a fan. Because really, if you think about it, it's really kind of, I mean, like so many things that we do as humans, it really makes no sense. 
Why are you loyal to a team, especially these days? Why do you emotionally invest to the point where when they lose game seven on that last second shot, it hurts? Why? (laughs) Why does it feel like you got so close? It makes no sense. And films like this one and films like Fever Pitch do that. They explore that concept. And and that's what appeals to me, too, about this film, about Fever Pitch. Uh, Yes, I admit it's not very much related to the glory of our times. Uh, baseball in the first 20 years of the 20th century, or the Black Sox. But great film, great baseball film. Something well, completely different. Well, that's good. I mean, well, that's what's good about like this segment of the show where you can tell people about a movie and they can kind of create their own identification with the feature film. Here's the hope. Well, I mean, like I don't know how many people would associate any storyline with the Black Sox from the glory of their times, but maybe they could be like a visual component that gives them like that same immersion that I felt. I'd actually go where our times first and then go into the Black Sox because very, very conspicuously. In fact, I laughed at one or two parts mm-hmm. very conspicuously. They guess what? They avoided. Yeah, they, they stopped the right, Black Sox. They stop right when they get to 19 or after 1918. Oh, yeah. But that's not it. See, Eddie C. Cotty was mm-hmm. a Hall of Famer. He is Hall of Fame level. I mean, he's winning 30 games with no arm. In this, oh, I'm sorry, no, 29. Yeah. But we'll count the one he won in the series. So 30. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he won 30 games and he was shot for some crazy, you know, at that time it's even crazier, you know, and he's still winning this many games. He's a badass. Okay. He easily could have made this. And do you remember the bit where they're talking about Ty Cobb, how he hit over 374 for like nine straight years? And then one year he hit 380. And he didn't win the batting title. You remember that part? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Guess who won the freaking batting title that year? Who? Guess. Joe Jackson. Mm. Joe Jackson, man. That was the thing. Is that, that was the other thing. Is that, yeah, Tris Speaker was up there. But the other guy that was always up there in the average race, because people really cared about it in those days where there were so few home runs, right? In the average race, Shoeless Joe was always in the top three with those guys in the American League. <laughs> Okay, so like Aaron said, Game 6, a 2005 release, will be available on Voodoo beginning on August 10th. That's right. Yeah. And Voodoo says anticipated August 10th, so don't hold my feet to the fire if it's not there. They're probably trying to get the rights for the Polish distributor for the U.S. Because <laughs> he knows he's got a movie with Batman and Iron Man in it, right? So Yeah, they're trying to get the translators. Yeah. <laughs> In any case, I should also point out that In the Glory of Their Times is available for free on YouTube. And so for my co-host, Aaron Harris, I'm Oz Davis, and we'll see you next time on Game Fun. Take it easy. Everything was about to change.
for she was about to discover the awesome attractiveness of Row 1 brand retro sports paraphernalia items thanks to Orville Mulligan, sports writer. And there it is. Wow, Orville, that's really the bee's knees. Isn't it just? A poster-sized replica of the actual 1909 World Series program cover. I can see that. But where did you get it? And where'd you get it framed? I ordered it from the Row 1 website, where over 6,000 items of sports memorabilia from the 1880s to the 1990s are available for reproduction in multiple sizes and in several different materials, with over a dozen styles of frame to choose from for prints like this. Well, I'm sure Mr. Delft would love to put up more of these in the office. But I'm equally as sure they're beyond this newspaper's budget. <laughs> Not at all, my dear Marla. See for yourself. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Oh my, these are good prices. Oh, and look at this stuff. Oklahoma, Nebraska football. College basketball art. Michael Jordan items. And so Retro it was that Marla Delft discovered the spondiferous magic of Row 1 sports memorabilia arts and prints. You can, too, by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash row1. That's R-O-W number one today for access to the full Row 1 catalog of gallery prints and gifts like t-shirts, long-sleeve shirts, telephone cases, coffee mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Act A for a 15% discount off all prints with coupon code SHN15 and 20% off all other items with coupon code SHN20 at checkout. And keep your dial locked to the Sports History Network for the exciting chronicles of the 1920 sports world in Orville Mulligan, sports writer, coming soon. Oh,